want you to turn with me to the book of Judges. You know, I just want to finish off a couple of things I was saying from the book of Ruth. Ruth, it's the eighth book of the Bible. It's a number of new beginnings. And I believe the Holy Spirit highlighted that to me because there's some people here that you need to know this is a new beginning for you. This is a new beginning. That is a new season. And it's a new day. And um, double indemnity, double recompense. It says, cast not away your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. When the Lord began to speak to me about double recompense, it was at a time when things had, had probably reached a, a time of, um, you know, great pressure. I was uh, on my own six years just raising three children and, and, um, and the Lord spoke to me about double indemnity. It was rolling around inside of me and I actually asked a few people that were involved in insurance. I said, what does double indemnity mean? And as I looked it up, um, it's the promise of compensation. It's to be insured for injuries suffered, for damage, loss, fire, theft. And I believe that as we understand that God will allow us to go through a preparation season, sometimes it's very intense because of what he wants to do. When a diamond is being shaped and cut, up to 60% of it is lost but it becomes more valuable because it's been shaped and cut. Some of the things that you've been through have actually prepared you to be far more valuable in the kingdom of God. Amen? And it takes a diamond to cut a diamond. And I believe God's done a deep shaping in many of your lives and it seems like you feel reduced, but in the midst of it, you're becoming such a treasure, such a precious jewel to him. And um, in my own life, I know that uh, I got to a time when um, I'd actually met Jeff, um, and um, but I was still sort of under a time of you know different things happening. My my middle girl, we'd been through a church split um, in, in in Redcliffe where I was a church split, and in the midst of that, um, uh, my daughter went 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 into the world. Um, uh, my eldest girl was going through struggles um, and I started to get a really, a lot of um, health problems and, and I was normally very healthy and, um, and my middle girl had started to, to, you know, go to the nightclubs and things like that and, and, um, and uh, she'd sometimes forget her key and um, I'd be lying in bed at night. I had, I had started to get chest pains. I started to get a feeling like an elephant sitting on my chest. I feel like my heart was knocking through my rib cage, and, and so I wasn't praying prayers of God raise me up and I want to be a champion. And I was lying in bed at night with my heart knocking against my rib cage, praying this prayer: Lord, just keep me alive till I know my kids are walking with you. God, just keep me alive till I know they're all walking with you. And Madeline, when she'd be out partying, she'd sometimes forget her key, and I'd hear the window of the lounge slowly open. I'd be lying in bed, watching the hallway, my heart going, thinking, I'll either see the shadow of an axe coming down the hall, and it's the mad axeman finally come to get me. Would you hear the window slowly opening? And then I hear it's Madeline home safe again. And I remember coming out to her this particular night, and she told me later that she had been drinking, so she was seeing two or three of me. I didn't know that. And I said, Madeline, I love you, but I don't like you. I don't like what you're becoming. I said, if you want the freedom of an adult, take the responsibility. If you died tonight, I do not know where you would go. But the Bible tells me this, that God will wipe away every tear from my eye. Psalms tells me that if you forsake the Lord, the womb that bore you will forget you. And I will be in heaven with the Lord. And I will forget I ever bore a child called Madeline. And you will go screaming into a Christless eternity. Pretty horrible, hey? <laughs> but I wanted to get in her face. <laughs> Can't believe she said that. I wanted to get in her face. I wasn't there saying, oh, she'll be right, you know. God will get you one day. You can go around partying and getting drunk. No! She was in a dangerous place. 
So Psalm says this, the womb, the boy, you will forget you. Your name will be written off. Planet Earth will forget you. I was trying to say, wake up to yourself, Madeline. She told me later, she went to her bedroom saying, God, I'm coming back, but not just now. <laughs> Keep me safe. I'm coming back, but not just now. <laughs> and so I was, here I was, I'd met Jeff, and I was thinking, it's a bit sad. I finally met someone who's nice, and I'm probably going to kick the bucket in 12 months. <laughs> and my kids. And, but you know what? God began to speak to me about double recompense. And I began to see his hand. One of the things that happened, I went to a conference down the Gold Coast and, and uh, I was actually speaking at one of the sessions, but a lady got up to give a testimony about how God healed her just before having open heart surgery. And I remember listening because I'd had this fear and I knew the symptoms, the things that I was struggling with, and I said, God, what you did for her, can you do it for me? That's all I prayed. What you did for her, can you do it for me? And from that day forth, the symptoms just started to subside and subside until they never came back again. And when the Lord says, said, I have underwritten all your losses, I'm going to give you double for your trouble. I'm going to give you a double portion marriage. I'm going to give you a double portion family. And I saw that in, a, in an insurance policy with an insurance claim, if you have a car wreck, if you lose something, what you have left over is valuable. Got, the Lord showed me this way. I had to go and preach in Townsville and I met the couple that were pastors, son and, uh, daughter and son-in-law and the towns, they just got married and I was talking to them. But anyway, I came back six months later and the Townsville floods had been through. And I said to Matt and his wife, I said, oh, you, you know, I heard you went through the floods and she said, oh, we lost everything. We didn't even have time. The waters came up that quickly. We lost a um, bit of furniture we had and we lost our wedding photos. We lost, we lost, I said, oh, that's terrible. Well, I was back sometime later and, and, I, and I came up, I said, oh, how are things going to Matt and Michelle? They said, great. I said, what happened? And they said, well, you know what? We took out a little insurance policy uh, for our furniture and they paid out so much, we'll put a deposit on a new home. We're living in a, brick, a new brick home. And the Lord said to me, see, that's what I want to show you, that the power of my word, the power of trusting God to be a, the Lord, your recompense, your compensation. Compensation or indemnification is the promise of recompense, the promise of compensation for injuries, suffered, damage, caused, fire, theft, loss. And I, I started to see, because the other thing that happened after um, Jeff and I got married was I lost my mobile phone. Now, I know you probably couldn't think anyone as sensible as me. Because <laughs> you know how you look everywhere, the fridge, the, anyway. And, and then you ring it. <laughs> who does that? You ring it. <laughs> I go one step further. I find it and go, I wonder who called me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wonder who that was. Oh, that was me. <laughs> and... Um, and so anyway, I'd been down the Gold Coast, I think it was, preaching, and, and, I, and I'd, um, I'd stopped somewhere for an ice cream and petrol. So I rang the church and they couldn't find it. And I, I called back that servo and I could, they didn't have it handed in. And so I, I said to because Jeff is like uh, Mr. Particular. The details make the difference. Um, Mrs. Near Enough is good enough. <laughs> so I finally, Jeff, I said, I, I just can't find my mobile phone. He said... Those phones cost a lot of money, you know, you know. He said, hang on a minute. He said, you could be, you know, you could be in luck here. I think they could be covered by a household insurance. So he looked up the insurance policy, which he had in his file. Everything is filed. <laughs> in fact, he is so detailed, it is almost disturbing. <laughs> when we got married, actually... I said to him before we got married, and I said, now, listen, I'm going to try really, really, really hard to be organised. I'm going to try really hard to be tidy. But have a look around. <laughs> and I wasn't dirty, but I wasn't super neat. You know what I mean? There's a pile of washing on the lounge chair and books and tapes on the ironing board. And, <laughs> and my food cupboard, well, it's just got two shelves that I can reach. 
I, nothing up there and nothing down there. <laughs> and all the packets are open and handy. <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, he looked around and he said, uh, I said, you know, you're moving him with three little pigs, actually. <laughs> and he lied and said, I can. <laughs> I can handle it. Anyway, after we were married, <laughs> it was like, because he came on the first trip with me and I did what I usually do. Came in, you know, we drove home, came in, drip, carried my suitcase into the lounge, flipped it open, got my nightie out, <laughs> went off to bed and I went there and I'm listening and I hear him going in, taking his dirty laundry into that laundry and then into the bathroom, putting things away and then hanging things up. By this time, I'm feeling really guilty because I usually just leave it in the lounge, use everything after the last three weeks. I don't actually have to empty it. I'm just using it <laughs> as I go. <laughs> I have changed. And anyway, the first, uh, first time he, <laughs> I went away and he was minding the kids, I, I got a shock because I came home and everything in the cupboard was in boxes and labelled. <laughs> I said to him, I think... I'm scared I'm going to wake up one morning with a label that says wife. <laughs> In fact, he, 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 um, he said to me after about three months, you know, three months of being sensitive and, you know, <laughs> tiptoeing around issues, he said, uh, there's no food in the cupboard. <laughs> and I said, we, we, we both work. <laughs> You've got two pair of hands. <laughs> He said, I've run out of jocks and socks. I said, well, you know how to work the washing machine, don't you? <laughs> I was very naughty. <laughs> then he said, uh, now when you do my ironing, strike one. <laughs> he said, my business shirts go here, my casual shirts go here, my good T-shirts go there, and you don't need to iron my fishing T-shirts. I thought it became dyslexic. I'm sort of... What, what? So when I do the ironing, I'd just pick it all up and i go. <coughs> and I'd see him just quietly watching and then he'd sort of follow in afterwards and go. <laughs> I thought, that is sick. That is really sick. <laughs> he said to me, could you tidy up your side of the walk-in wardrobe? And, you know, yeah, I please, you know. There was stockings hanging out and stuff hanging out everywhere and by this time I thought this guy really needs some help <laughs> and I said sure honey sure and I went in I opened up the first drawer and I went <coughs> next drawer <coughs> next drawer <coughs> I said okay <laughs> he just stared at me in fact when I was cranky with him once the worst thing I could do was go in pull out his socks drawer and empty it out <laughs> like it was the meanest thing I could think of doing. <laughs> I was saying all that to tell you something. Aha, thank you. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> You've been waiting. Thank you. Oh, would you travel with me? This would be really helpful. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Kindred spirit. Anyway, Jeff... Um, he said, you're in luck. He said, this is covered by insurance. So when we ordered a, a replacement, that one had been superseded. So they not only had to give us a new whiz-bang, amazing phone with all the bells and whistles, but a new in-car kit that had fitted in. It was such an incredible phone. Jeff took it straight away. Because <laughs> I just need the one that says hello, goodbye, and messages. Anything after that. And it's just like brain freeze. <laughs> but God began to show me through these series of events. I'm going to give you back. In the year of divine favour, the year of jubilee, in the season of double recompense, I'm going to give you back far greater than what you lost. So I began to lift up to the Lord. I say, what about this area? He said, just watch me. What about, what about Maddie? He said, just watch me. I met a girl. Well, I was praying for her. Lord out there partying, well, I said to my kids, I'm going to take you to church meeting 
and I want you to come with me because I figured I just needed to get them in the anointing somehow, somewhere. And I took them to a few places and really wasn't um, happening there. But I visited this particular church one day and as Maddie and, and uh, my son were there and Maddie was sitting there and she, she, she had a you know, hair in her face and she had this short, short skirt and short top and <laughs> sitting up the back and she wasn't very happy. But as the preaching was happening, it began to penetrate her heart. It began to reach her. And, and, um, and as, the, as the altar call happened and as she responded, and I saw tears stream down her face and, and she was slain in the spirit. And it was like those ladies with the cloths. It's like, bring the sheep, you know. <laughs> we need about three here. But you know what? She got so born again, so turned on for God, so on fire for God that she would be going to church with this neck-to-knee thing. Mum, Mum, can you see anything? No, that looks, that looks fine. That looks fine. Anyway, she said, Mum, you know, I really want a boyfriend. I said, well, let's just trust God. Let's just wait three months. Three months? Three months? Do you think I have to wait that long? <laughs> I said, yeah, just three months. You know? <laughs> but, um, you know, praise God. As she, as she like, like Ruth, just stayed in the house of God and, and uh, just matured in her emotions. And, and uh, there's a few, few guys she sort of liked and looked at the back of their heads for a few months. What do you think about that one, you know? <laughs> but there came a young man that joined the church about two years later called Cain. And all the girls like Cain, but I was away in Townsville. I knew, I knew Maddie liked him and she rang me and she said, Mum, guess what? Cain's asked me out. I said, oh, that's good, Mad, just play it cool. <laughs> I know what this girl's like. <laughs> you know, she's, she wears a heart on a sleeve of it anyway. She rang me the, the second night and said, Mum, guess what? Cain's asked me out again. I said, what? Play it cool, Mad, play it cool. <laughs> She rings me at the end of the week. She said, guess what, Mad? Mum, Cain and I went out and, and he said, he said to me, I think you're the one. I said, oh, Mad, you didn't. <laughs> Don't tell me you didn't. You didn't say. Mum, I said, I think you're the one too. <laughs> anyway, to cut a long story longer. <laughs> they went out together and unfortunately, or fortunately, Maddie and I were out and passed the wedding dress shop and she saw this sale. It's this fabulous dress. She said, Mum, I really want to buy that dress. I said, he hasn't actually probably proposed. She said, oh, it's just it's on sale. It's a beautiful dress. Anyway, we end up buying it. I think we scared him. <laughs> and uh, they broke up. <laughs> but for the next eight, ten months, we walked together, we prayed together. And she stayed in the house of God, which was so hard, because he was there. I said, Maddie, you come through this time. I know God's going to bless you. And he, he just, he just uh, his, his mum had died when he was 18, and, and there'd been some things that had happened. And, and anyway, um, we tried to sell the dress in the paper, and it wouldn't sell. And lo and behold, 10 months later, he, um, he asked her to marry him. And, uh, and they'd been married... Uh, quite a long time, both in the same church for nine years. But it's like God says, watch me while I give you a double portion, daughter. She, is so, she's in the, she just got back from Thailand and Cambodia to help with the destiny rescue of the trafficking of young women and children into prostitution. She's just so passionate for the things of God. In fact, that time when she, when she was just turned around, someone had called in to see Jeff over the Christmas holidays and brought a bottle of wine and left it in the fridge. Well, Madeline came in and she said, Mum, what's that bottle of wine doing in the fridge? Oh, I said, Jeff, <laughs> you have to pour it down the sink right now. <laughs> because Madeline, her faith is so tender. And, uh, you know, personally, I, I just believe, you know, you know, if you're called to preach the gospel, to avoid all the appearance of that sort of thing, but... But, but for her, it was just like that was that whole life. A double portion daughter, a double portion marriage, double portion in so many areas. God's underwritten all those things that you've been through to prepare you for this coming season.
And I think what I prayed for one, he's doing in every one of our lives an extreme grace makeover. Amen? Uh, he gives you permission to exaggerate the grace of God. You can never exaggerate the grace of God. Amen? You can't exaggerate the grace of God. But I want to just, just, just take a little while this afternoon to just deal with, or just with a blockage, an area that I feel that we need to just deal with. And, and then um, tonight we're just going to really, really release um, a powerful Esther anointing. I just believe that there's just going to be such an anointing for, for the Esther bride, the Esther church to arise. But I just want us to go to Judges chapter 4, if we could. Judges chapter 4. Oh, just to, to uh, an update, I have actually become a lot tidier. <laughs> Fear not and fret not. <laughs> I did come through and he chilled out a bit. So, <laughs> judges. In fact, uh, I just want to read a couple of scriptures while we're getting there. And you don't need, you can jot these down, but um, Joshua 17, I'm just going to read very quickly. I'm going to do these fairly quickly. Joshua 17. Okay, Joshua 17, verse 15, Joshua speaking to um, the children of Joseph, that, that tribe, verse 16, sorry. <clears throat> the mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites live, who dwell in the land both have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Sheen and in its towns and in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, you are a great people, you have great power, and you shall not only have one lot, you're going to expand, you're going to have a great inheritance, but the mountain country shall be yours. And although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. And you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Judges chapter 1, as they went in to take the promised land in... Um, Judges chapter 1, verse 19. So the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I want to speak about the chariots of iron, the things that have been tough inhabitants of the land, the things that have been difficult to move out of the way. And, and I believe that there are things that people have you know, put up with and, 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 and uh, they've just been there. And uh, in Judges chapter 4, it speaks about a time when uh, there was such a multiplying of these chariots of iron that there was 900 that assembled and had oppressed the people of God. And uh, so I want to speak about the chariots of iron this morning, this afternoon. And just iron always refers to afflictions. It always refers to depression, it refers to, and I want to re refer to a particular chariot of iron this afternoon called hope deferred. Hope deferred. Because the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sad. But that word sad in the Hebrew means a couple of other things. It means to go into travail. It means precious and it means price. And it says Hope deferred makes the heart sad, but as the desire is fulfilled, it becomes a tree of life or a tree of revival. I want to say your destiny sometimes will come en route the valley of hope deferred. That the tree of life, the, the breakthrough, the things that God has for you, sometimes you're going to come through the valley of hope deferred. And it's part of the process, amen? It's learning to have authority over the enemy. And some of those iron chariots have been there too long in the valley. It says that they couldn't shift them. They were able to shift a lot of the enemy, but there were these in the lowlands that were like chariots of iron. And um, it says in Psalm 105 of Joseph, it says his feet were put in iron until his soul was impacted by the iron, till iron entered his soul. There's, there's something about the afflictions of the things that God allows us to go through. It says in Jeremiah 48 that Moab has settled on his lees it says, neither has he been poured from vessel to vessel, neither has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remains in him and he changes not. 
Sometimes God allows us to go through times of captivity, times of difficulty, so we can learn to reach out to him in a greater way. Amen? And learn to deal with the chariots of iron. And um, it's a great thing if you're a woman and someone says, you haven't changed in 20 years. Isn't that nice? And they come, oh gosh, you look the same as you did 20 years ago. But if you're a Christian, it's a very sad thing. <laughs> you're still struggling with that 20 years later. And I want to say... In this time that we're looking at, they were oppressed for 20 years. And I want to address the long-term issues that have been in our life, that we've learned to cohabit with, that we've got conditioned to thinking, well, that's just going to be my lot in life, that that, that giant is always going to be there, that I've tried. And sometimes the hope deferred comes when you've tried and failed, tried and failed, and you really don't want to try anymore because of the failure is so painful. I love the fact that Corinthians chapter 1 says that I deliberately chose the failures, those that were low-born, insignificant, and branded with contempt, that no mortal flesh can glory in my presence. There's a good book you should read. It's not a Christian one, but it's called The World Book of Heroic Failures. <laughs> There's one there uh, that I can remember was the world's worst homing pigeon. <laughs> was released from Bradfordshire, I think, in England in 1953 and was returned from Brazil 11 years later, dead in a box. Sorry, that was a joke. <laughs> All the animal lovers are going, oh, that was terrible. And here we see a time when there were 900 chariots of iron. And I just want to address, you know, those things that can just seem like if, when you try and fail, a conditioning thing gets set up. You know, like when they train a, you know, an animal in the circus and they have, you know, a little baby elephant or something and they chain it with a big chain and it, and it pulls and it tugs and it tries day after day, day after day and, and, and in the end it stops, it slows down and, and one day it gives up and it actually accepts defeat. It actually gets a mindset that I cannot move any further than this six-foot sphere and it grows to be a rippling, great, amazing creature. And they just use a little rope because it's conditioned. It can't go any further. And God wants to break the conditionings, the hopes deferred, that I tried and failed. I tried and failed. One of the other areas that God wants to break off is the area of fear and intimidation. Fear and intimidation. People, you know, um, fear of man brings a snare. And, you know, that can be something that can affect our life because of circumstances in our past. And I know that was a big one for me. In fact, they say the fear of public speaking is worse than the fear of death. Fear of man. And uh, we wouldn't worry about what people thought about us if we realised how little they did. <laughs> Most people have got their own stuff to think about. But I would be plagued by, oh, I didn't say that right. And I would, I would ring people up and I would say, look, you know, we were talking the other day and I said, this is what I really meant. And they're going, huh? I can't even remember what we're talking about. And I would be over-apologising and, and I would be re-explaining myself with the fear of being misunderstood and rejected. I didn't have the capacity to say no. I had a list of things by my phone at one stage. It said things like, that is a good idea. <laughs> Why don't you do it yourself? <laughs> Let me get back to you. <laughs> yeah, my kids, uh, you know, um, I remember a particular lady that would uh, ring up and say, hi, I'm coming over to visit three weeks in January. Oh, um, mm, that may not, great, uh, okay. You know, kids, um, Auntie Mary's coming. To, what? No, not Auntie Mary. We don't want to. Oh, sorry, it's just. And then you lie at bed at night and thinking, well, maybe I'll ring her back and I'll say this. And she'll say that. I'll say that. And she'll say this. And I'll say that. And, mm. Isn't it so much easier with text, eh? <laughs> you text and then you turn your phone off. No. <laughs> no, I don't do that. No. <laughs> Send an email. Oh, the computer crashed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the, the ability to say no. It was just, you know, people pressure. In fact, as a young mum, I used to have a lady that would turn up a, a few afternoons after school, um, like at 3.30, with a packet of biscuits and her three kids, and they would just trash my house till 5 o'clock, and then they'd go home. I went and spoke to my ladies' leader at the church, and I said, <clears throat> this is what's happening. I don't know what to do. And she said, well, just tell them it's not convenient. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello. It's it's not convenient as they go past and put the kettle on. You know, I <laughs> I thought, you know, how do you say no? No, 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 no. <laughs> I used to actually pick up my kids from school and go and go to a shopping centre till five o'clock. Fear of man brings a snare. <laughs> when all else fails, I used to have my ironing basket ready, so at least it wasn't a total waste of time. <laughs> so if ever you come to visit me in the ironing basket, say, be afraid, be very afraid. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Saying no was so hard. But it happens to a lot of people. You know when the spaceship Challenger was launched <clears throat> and the NASA was getting ready for the big launch, they rang the team of technicians that were in charge of the final details. And they said, uh, we've got a few days to the launch and we're just, you know, we're good to go. Everything okay? And the team of technicians came back and they said, well, look, we're 95% sure. We've just got a question mark over the O-rings on re-entry. We're just concerned about it. And the man from NASA was so outraged or was so... Yeah, he said, what? You can't tell me after all this time we're ready to go. You cannot give us a green light. They hastily had another meeting. The technicians, they changed their... No into a yes, good to go, and everything's history. All those lives were lost as that rocket. That's, you know, documented fact. The people pressure. We have to be able to say no. We have to say yes deep enough to the right things. That we give a positive no to things that, you know, I used to think we're bought with, our pr with the price, we're not our own, but we don't belong to everybody else either. We have to say yes to a good marriage. We have to say yes to children being raised in the house of the Lord. We have to say yes to time with the Lord. I remember having a dream once about um, Joyce Meyer and, um, and I saw a calendar with all these crosses on it marked out and I saw her walking with, um, on a golden pathway with these golden shirts and as I woke up, I, I, I was asking the Lord for the interpretation. And he said this, I have anointed her walk because she has crossed out time for me on her calendar. I saw these words actually, wasted on Jesus. That's what the enemy will say. You're going to waste your time. You, you know, you've got things to do. You can't. John Wesley said this, I've got so much to do today, I have to spend an extra three hours in prayer. So, you know, there's, there, there's this whole area of intimidation I believe God wants to break through in, in hope deferred. So I'm just going to refer to a couple of scriptures. What time do we go to, Joy? <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> uh, how long, much more will we go for? Five? Okay, there's a clock up there. Great. I just want to pick out and highlight a couple of scriptures here. So in... in um, Joshua, sorry, Judges chapter 4, it says there in verse 3 that the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because these 900 chariots of iron had gathered. And I want to say this, what you tolerate will dominate. What you tolerate will multiply. But it says there, Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was um, judging Israel at the time. And, and she sent for um, Barak and she said, I've got a word from God. I want to affirm the word that he's already commanded you to go down to Mount Tabor, take 10,000 troops of Naphtali and Zebulon. Now, in Judges chapter 5, it says this, that, city life, that village life had ceased. Nobody was moving forward. And the people were having to slink around the, high, the byways. And it says that uh, war had come to the very gates. And I want to say there is a contending to move into this new season. War has come to the gates. And it says that nothing was happening until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. And I believe that God is raising up mighty women. And we heard it prophesied today. Mighty women in this nation. 
and he's raising up the Deborahs. The Bible says that Deborah gets a word and uh, the word is this, now is the time that God is going to break off these iron chariots. This is the time when God is going to destroy the long-term issues that have been in your face. There's things that have been there for 20, 30 years. It's almost like you'd say to me, look, I tried and failed. So, you know, I'm going to heaven. I'm loving Jesus. I want to say, no, the things that have been in the too hard basket are going to be dealt with. Amen? And it says there that Deborah got, got, got a fresh word from God. She got a fresh word. And God wants to release a fresh word in your heart today. A fresh word. Psalm 68, 11 says, The Lord gives a word of power, and great was the company of women assembled for war who published, who declared it, who spoke it out, who began to prophesy it. Amen? Now, the translators couldn't handle the feminine term, so it'll say in a lot of Bibles, And great was the company who published the good news. But it's a feminine uh, uh, verb and it means great was the company of women who rose up. And I believe that God wants to put a fresh word in your heart, a, a powerful word of release. The memoirs of Christopher Columbus have only been discovered in the last number of years and people are not really, they're not really popular because he was a strong Christian and he says this in his journal. He said, I, uh, people think I was a great navigator. He said, I, I know a little about navigation, but I know a lot about my God. He said, I was reading the word. God put it in my heart to find a new world. God put it in my heart to discover a new land. And he went to, you know, the, 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 the Queen Isabella and, and different ones, even to get a ship manned by people was, was hard because everyone believed that the world was flat and they would be sucked uh, by the lunar magnetism over the edge. And he went again, tried trying to get finances. In the end, Queen Isabella, I think, financed his trip personally with her own jewels. But he said these words. He said, he said, I was reading the Bible one day and I read this. I think it's in Job as well as Isaiah. It says that I, the Lord, when I set the heavens and the and the expanse of the water beneath, I, the Lord, set a compass upon the face of the waters. And the Lord spoke to me, he says in his journal, if it's a compass, it must be round. It must be round. And he said these words, and on that word we set sail. On the word, a fresh word, hallelujah. And I believe God wants you to set sail today with a fresh word of hope, with a fresh word of deliverance, with a fresh word of breakthrough. Deborah got a fresh word and it was, rise up. It is time for the chariots of iron to be destroyed. Now, they didn't have any weapons and the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulon, which speaks of pray, praying people, Zebulon means Dwelling, Naphtali means wrestling. It's a picture of people of prayer. Rose up, 10,000, no weapons, go down to the valley. Very, very vulnerable place. And I will draw out Sisera, said God. The word Sisera means surround in battle array. Jabin, the king of the army, means cunning intelligence. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, his strategies, the things he uses. Fear, intimidation, hope deferred. And the Bible says that... Um, as, she, as they come, and, and um, Heber the Kenite, a traitor, he'd withdrawn himself. And he actually went to Sisera and said, hey, if you want to take out the people of God, they're down in the valley. They're, they're, they're rising up. And so Sisera, with all his chariots of iron, come out. Thousands and thousands of them. And as they're there, Deborah gets a fresh word, and the word is this, rise up. This is a great day. This is D-Day. This is Deliverance Day. The eagle has landed. This is a new day. Glory. You know, they're looking at chariots of iron. They're looking, you know, yeah, right. Nothing's changed. She said, you go against them. You rise up. And I want to say, heaven's response requires our action. It will always require a faith stand. Even just walking through those doors saying, I just feel... Like I'm just under such a mountain, but God, I'm going to your house today and I'm going to lift up holy hands. Our actions release heaven's response. Faith stand. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who seek after him. Amen? And as, you know, um, you know when, 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 when they went out against the enemy, it would be like God saying, well, look, I'm going to cause you to have a great victory in Afghanistan. And I'm going to beam you up and drop you down 
in the desert to face the Hezbollah and all their tanks. But don't worry, I'm going to show up. All you have to do is have faith. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. Praise and sing, give thanks to the Lord. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's okay for them, but when we're on the line, that was a mighty stand that Barak made. He said to Deborah, he said, um, I'm not going unless you come. <laughs> it's easy for you to prophesy it in church, but it's another thing to stand in Afghanistan and look at those tanks. You, know, and you need to be beside me. I want to know you can put your money where your mouth is. You know, I want to see that you really believe what you're prophesying, girl. And so as they're there, the Bible says, as they went down, God began to throw great hailstones. And as you know, the, the valley became filled with water and the, the wheels of the chariots got stuck in the mud. Now, Heber the Kenite had a wife called Jael. She was a woman in a less than ideal situation, married to a traitor. The Bible says that the, the men of God attacked the enemy. They took their weapons from them because they were blinded by the hailstones. But Sisera had escaped on foot. And he went to the tent of a woman called Jael. But Jael had got an email from her mate, Devi says, Sisera's on the way. Nail him. Sign Deb. <laughs> you know, here is a woman in a less than ideal situation. The job of the Kenite women was to pull down and put up the tents. So she did not know that every time she put down tent pegs and she just was doing faithfully what she was meant to do on a day. The secret to your success and mine is found in your daily routine. When you come into the house of God, when you take that Bible study, when you teach Sunday school, when you're, you're a friend to people, when you reach out, you're building a muscle and you don't know if God's not preparing you to take out a national demo, you know, demonic stronghold to rise up in the nation, just daily being faithful. Hallelujah. The Bible says a sister runs into her tent and he says, watch at the door so you know one's coming. She got him some warm milk and she covered him up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was at home, there's a knock on the door and I opened the door and it was Osama bin Laden and he rushed in, threw himself down on my couch and said, watch the door and see nothing but nobody comes. Now, the word Jael means wild goat. If anyone's called you an old goat lately, you can say, praise the Lord, that's a great prophetic word. Is there any more? <laughs> also means she who ascends. She who ascends. I tell you what, the devil's going to be sorry he ended up in your tent. Knocked on the wrong door. You know, you picked the wrong house, devil. Because I'm pretty mad. You know, I believe she looked at that man and she remembered all of her friends whose children had been hurt. He had had a reputation of murderous, rapist, horrific uh, man. I believe that we would say today you would look at that person that represented the results of child trafficking and of the horrors of things that happened to people. But the equivalent would be, as, well, sorry, as she, as she covered him up. The Bible says she went and she picked up that hammer that she's used on a daily basis and she lined up the tent peg on his temple. Now, if you're under 16, you need to shut your ears. This is R-rated <laughs> for violence. <laughs> and she lined it up and she lifted that hammer and she went, BAM! You only get one shot at it. For you and I, it'd be like, we go into the kitchen, get the knife. <laughs> Music of Psycho playing in the background. <laughs> This woman was a violent woman. This woman was a brave woman. This woman, I want to say this. Jesus Christ was crucified on a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's in our mind that the areas of fear and intimidation and hope deferred come in. Amen? Is not my word like a hammer that will break in pieces the hard places? I want to say it's up to God how he does it. He just needs a person with faith. He says, when I come, will I find faith in the earth? Why? Because it's going to be hard to believe God sometimes. When I come, am I going to find people still believing me, still believing for the breakthrough? Yeah. Or have we given up and thought, oh, I'll just have to put up with this? Till I know I'm going to heaven. That's the devil's mock. 
maybe going to heaven, but you'll not fully have the victory. But I want to say today, God wants you to know the iron chariots. You'll see no more. There's things that you've lived with and you've thought, well, that's just me. Hello, darkness, my old friend. No, 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 no more. You're not going to see depression anymore. You're not going to see hope deferred. When God says, I'll do the impossible, he says, too easy, give me something hard. Amen? It's big God, little devil. The Bible says that as, as, as she destroyed, as she killed Sisera, there's this song that comes forth from Deborah and Barak, and they begin to sing and begin to prophesy. In the, in the last verse of that song, it's in Judges chapter 5, and I'm just going to um, just finish here. In Judges chapter 5, in the song that they sing, the word Lapidoth, the wife of Deborah, the husband of Deborah, means burning torch or burning flame. In the end time, God's going to anoint his church, his bride, with such victory. It'd be like if uh, Osama bin Laden did knock on your door and your husband answered the door and says, Ha, it's you. Failene, Mary, Joe, my wife's going to beat you up. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying to the, to the devil. My wife's going to beat you up. <laughs> Judges chapter 5 says, in verse 31, Thus let your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him, this is Judges chapter 5, verse 31, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength and the land had rest for 40 years. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in its full strength brilliant, rising strength. Hallelujah. You ready to rise up, to come into full strength? Hallelujah. Because I believe God wants to release the fiery torch of revival, that your heavenly bridegroom, your heavenly Lapidoth, has got a fiery torch of revival that he's releasing today into your heart. When the sun comes out in his full strength, arise and shine. But today, if I could have someone on the keyboard again, I just want to pray for some people here. And while I've been speaking, if there's been an area of hope deferred, if there's been a, a, a problem, and you've tried and failed and tried and failed, I want to say, let down your net of faith one more time. This is a new season, amen? And he's going to break the conditioning. He's going to break intimidation. Fear of man brings a snare. First time I ever spoke publicly, I made a, I'd made a prayer that I regretted praying. <laughs> I said, Lord, if you ask me to do anything, I'll try in my best possible endeavor to do it. They asked me to do communion one Sunday. I've been teaching Sunday school and running a Bible study. But I hadn't fully been delivered of fear and as I got up with my communion message and um, there was about 200 people there that morning and as I looked out your body cannot tell the difference between a real or imagined thought or fear and I began to speak and as I began to share I got fearful and my mouth began to dry out and I began talking like this and my hand began to shake and I began to shake and I'm reading like this By this time, the congregation are staring. They're looking at me, and then they're looking at the deacons. Like, why don't they get her a drink? Well, underneath the wooden pulpit was a glass of water. And I'm talking like this, and I'm taking away. I need water. And I reached under, and I went like this. Are we wearing that? I kept talking like this. They, I thought they need to invent a straw that sort of comes up for nervous preachers. I got to the end and I had my communion emblems here and I said, 
Bow your heads and close your eyes. Bow your head and close your eyes. I picked up the bread. I looked at the wine and I hid it. The guy that got up to do the announcements afterwards got out his announcements and said, Oh, Faileen, you forgot to drink your communion wine. Oh, everybody knew. She was so scared, she didn't even take communion. <laughs> that congregation needed emotional healing for the next three months to watch that woman go through that. I had someone that came up to me after the meeting and said, I'm actually an elocution teacher. And how you, you get saliva flowing in your mouth when that happens is you press your tongue to the back of your top teeth and you go, mmm. I thought that would have topped it all off. Talking like that, mmm, 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 mmm. That would have said, send for my Connell, she's manifesting. <laughs> Fear of man brings a snare. God will break fear and intimidation off our lives. Amen? He will break fear off our life. Today, the iron chariots you see, you will see no more. I want to say, God is raising up a powerful, faith-filled church. He's raising up a powerful company of women. I want to open the altar. If you're here today, maybe that iron chariot is, a, is something that, you know, you've dogged your footsteps. And, and you say, today I'm going to believe God that it's not by my might or power, that as he fought on behalf of Israel, hailstones came out of heaven. And as she took the hammer and she applied it, the hammer of his word is going to bring breakthrough. Amen. God wants to give you a 10-peg anointing. Amen. He wants to release a 10-peg and a hammer into your hand to see the enemy's power broken. So if you're here today, this morning, this afternoon, whoever you are, Whatever time this is. Where are we? What country is this? I didn't even get to tell my joke. <laughs> right now. Actually, before... Um, yes, come, please. Yes, please come. Yes, come. Do not... Yes, amen. Amen. And I want to say, I know what it's like to be bound by fear. I know what it's like to struggle with depression. I know what it's like to think, will I ever be free of this? And I want you to know that it is a glorious truth that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? It's not just a theory. It's not just a, a promise. It is a reality that God wants to release and download. He's going to release angels on your behalf today. He is going to release, I believe, such a new anointing of breakthrough. And I want to say this. Uh, one of the things that Clark taught us in the School of the Spirit that is very relevant for right now is whatever problem, whatever issue, whatever struggle has been there, to ask yourself this one question, what will my life feel like? What will my life look like when I don't battle with that problem anymore? What will my life look like, feel like? Because God wants you to pre-play the future, not to replay the past. Amen. In your mind, he's going to open up coming attractions and he's going to put you in the big picture. Amen.